believe in that little verse that says, give us this day our daily bread. And God could say something in a meeting, not that I'm presumptuous. If he says anything, I'll be happy. But he could say something tonight that could just change your whole direction. I've seen me go into church and just God dropped a nugget into my heart and it just changed the way I saw him. I found him all the more lovely. I found him all the more a reason just for following him. I love those uh, songs tonight. Just thought they were beautiful, you know. So if you have your Bible and you'd like to turn over uh, to Ephesians chapter 3, a portion of scripture that's been well preached, well visited. But whenever David asked me to come and speak, I, I just felt that this, this was it. Just as soon as I put the phone down, I just felt in my heart that this was the portion that I should share. And so um, it's good for me because, you know, I'm just, I'm enthusiastic about it. I've been waiting to preach this word and just to bring it to you, you know, because I believe it's just the Lord's heart for this service. At verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 3, For this reason I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom all the Father <clears throat> in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. This little portion, the way I'm seeing it tonight, it's all about heart. It's about the bowing of the knee. It's about the help of the Spirit. It's about the continual abiding and continual presence of the Lord in our lives. Uh, without that presence, we would be poor indeed. It, it's about knowing something, knowing that you're loved, knowing that grace lasts beyond eternity and that the love of God can, he can love you no more than he already does. And he chooses not to love you any less. And it's about the fullness, the fullness of Christ. Paul was a man who had learned to be content. Paul was a man who knew what it was to be hungry and to be full. He knew what it was to be cold and to be warm. He knew what it was to be in the victory. And he also knew what it was to be in discouragement. And yet he had learned to be content because the fullness of God is not dependent upon a circumstance. It's not dependent upon an event. The fullness of God is Christ himself. Everything that you need is in the Savior. Everything that you long for is found in Jesus. And whenever you come to the place in your life and in your walk with God where you can say, I have Christ, what more do I need? Then you are one who is but experiencing the fullness of God. Because, you know, 
One meal passes, another season comes and go. Circumstances also have a sell-by date on them. They also come to pass. But over the years, over the years, Christ remains. And the riches for us as Christians is that we know him, that we're known by him, and that he is our all. And as you grow in the things of God, you find yourself first coming to Christ out of need. But it ought to be that the heart should say, if he does nothing else for me, I will still come to him because I love him. Now that is my message tonight. It's about your heart. It's about your heart in relation to him. And he is everything. Let me read something to you. In 17 and 41, taking his text from Deuteronomy 32 and 35, and the text is this, their foot shall slide in due time. Jonathan Edwards began to read his lengthy sermon. Word for word, he held his notes up to his eyes, and as he spoke, the congregation began to moan and to groan with emotion. Edwards depicted his congregation as being held over the flames of hell by a mere thread that at any moment could snap and that God could sever it and that they would slide into lost eternity. And Jonathan Edwards stressed that it was by the very mercy of God that they were not in hell already. The noise of people under conviction as he spoke became more intense. At one stage, he asked them to be quiet before he continued. But so powerful was the Holy Spirit's uh, seal on the sermon that people began to grab onto their pews to stop them from sliding into hell. And strong men were seen outside the church building trying to hold on to tree trunks to stop themselves going into hell. And one estimate is that 500 were saved in that meeting and the sermon was printed as sinners in the hands of an angry God. R.T. Kendall in his book, The Excellence of God, he brings a little quote. And he says this, that sinners are no longer afraid of God. That sinners are no longer afraid of God. But then he goes on to say that the Christian is no longer in fear of the Lord. He's no longer in fear of the Lord. Christ does not captivate our hearts. We have not been brought low because our minds are in other places. Remember the old course? Some of you will probably never have heard this course in your life before, but there are ones who could sing it with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Sinners, that's what R.T. says. I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just putting it out there. You know your heart and you know other believers. But sinners are no longer afraid of God, but they will be. And that the child of God is no longer in a position where he fears the Lord, fears him enough to live for him. 
fears him enough to follow him. Paul here mentions, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When you lift your hands in surrender, you are surrendering your life. If somebody else has a gun, you lift up your hands to show them that you have no weapons in your hands. That you do not stand before them as an enemy. The lifting of the hands is the surrender of a life. The bowing of the knee is the surrender of a heart. Now you and I came to Calvary's cross. The spirit of the Lord had, had, had challenged us. He'd removed the scales from off our eyes. We saw our sin we saw our need of a savior. We saw Christ as being that, that savior. And we saw that we were going to a lost eternity. And we came to Christ. For some of you, it was many a year ago. And you stood before the cross of Calvary. And there was a hopesoism in your heart. You were not convinced or sure that if you were to ask Christ into your heart, even though others would assure you that all was well, but you weren't sure that if you asked Christ into your heart and Christ into your life, that he would come. That he would come. I'm driving down the road on Tuesday. I've got my son, I'm a grandson, Eddie, in the back of the car. He's four years of age. I'm driving down. And you know, Eddie just, it's all poos and peas. That's the way he talks to me, Grandpa Poo, and you've got a poo sandwich, you know. That's the way he talks. That's the way kids are at that age, you know. You were like that, boys. But anyway, so we're traveling down the car, and he's joking, knock, knock, Grandpa's there. And, and I'd say, and Grandpa who? And he'd say, Grandpa Banana Face. And this is the way we were going. So I was driving down, and the next man, he just went quiet, and he says to me, Grandpa, where does Jesus live? And I says, Jesus is in heaven, but he also lives in your heart and he lives in your life. And he was just quiet. And then he said to me, and this was right out of the blue. He says to me, Granda, how do you get Jesus to live in your heart? And I says, you just ask him. Ask him to come into your heart. And he says to me, he says, Granda, how do you get Jesus to come into your life? And I says, you just ask him. And I says, would you like me to pray a wee prayer? Would you like me to ask Jesus into your... And he says to me, I already have, Granda. And I says, when did you? He says, I did it right now. And I says, what did you say? He said, Jesus, come. That's all he said, Jesus, come. There was such a moment, friends, for you and I, for me, I was 12 and a half years of age and I asked Jesus into my heart and when I got on my knees, I knew I was a sinner and when I got up off my knees, I knew I was a child of God. Yeah. And from that moment to this, I have loved him and I still do. But at that moment, you surrender your life. Sin-tattered garments, you know, a hopeless destiny. It just seemed to be you brought nothing but ruin and trouble and habits and, you know, your way of living. You were dead in trespasses and sin. And then in that moment, hallelujah, you got saved and you became alive in Christ Jesus. That took a moment. 
but it's taken a lifetime to bow the knee and to surrender the heart. Do you, do you, do you believe in the surrendered life? We sing of Jesus as being Lord over the nations. And we sing of Jesus as being, I remember growing up and they used to have dedication meetings. This was in Pentecost, this was in Presbyterian. You know, if anyone has slipped or anyone has fallen, there would be moments in the church or in the service or in the young people's where you had a dedication. And if you felt that you were growing cold to the Lord, well then you would, you know, you would make up the lost ground. You would renew your, your commitment to Christ. Because the one thing you never wanted was to lose them altogether. And you know where you were miserable without him. But he in tender love drew you back to that place again. And I can tell you, friends, it takes time to get to the place where you can say, in my heart of hearts, I love him. I not only have lifted my hands and surrender and said, Lord, take my life and take my all, take my needs, take my sicknesses, take my problems, take my troubles. But you know what? There's something about getting on your knees and coming before God and saying, Lord, take, take my heart as well. Let me, let me have affection for you. Let me feel emotion for you. Let it be that the very mention of your name causes my heart to beat. That is the experience of the Christian who decides to go on and go deeper and get into the way of the Lord. And that's why Paul says, I bow the knee. You know, the devil came to Jesus and he said to Jesus, Jesus, all you have to do is just bow down before me, worship me. In other words, switch your allegiance from God to me. Set your affection not upon the kingdom of God, but on my kingdom. Follow me, Jesus. Avoid the way of the cross. Avoid the way of the torment. Avoid the way of judgment on the cross. When God would open the windows of heaven and the wrath of God would beat down upon his head. Jesus, don't go the difficult way. Here's a shortcut. Here's an easier way. Just all you have to do is kneel down before me and if you do, I'll give you the kingdoms of the earth. Everybody that you're seeking to win through the cross, I'll give them to you because they're slaves and sinners of mine. And Jesus said, no. He chose the way less traveled. He chose the harder way, the more difficult way. And you see, the surrender of the heart, it has to do with an everyday commitment. It has to do with being a student of the word. It has to do with meeting God on a continual basis, whether it's in his house or whether it's in your house. It has to do with a walk when nobody's looking that you still are true to the Lord. That that's where the real test of change has been taking place. It's easy to do it in front of others, but when you're on your own and there's a shortcut, there's another way that you decide, no, that's not for me.
I am Christ's and I am his. The devil said to Jesus, all you have to do is turn these bread, these stones into bread. Turn the stones into bread and I'll tell you something, meet the basic need of humanity. Meet their needs, meet their basic needs and they will make you king and they will make you Lord. Don't give them free choice, give them bread. Heal them when they're sick. Give them sleep when they have insomnia. Help them to pay their bills. Feed them when they're hungry. Clothe them when they're naked. Meet their basic needs, Jesus, and you will find that they will willingly follow you. And Jesus went the way of the cross. He went the way of the cross. Because you and I have a spiritual need. Because these old bodies will die and our souls will live on. And without Christ, we are lost. And Jesus knew that. And sometimes we preach a gospel that only centers on the meeting of needs, the handing out of bread. When actually, friends, it's more to do with relationship and to do with walk with him. We're doing all right? Okay. Praise the Lord. It says in here about Adam and Eve in Genesis 1, or Genesis, whatever it was. The devil comes to them and says, what you have isn't enough. Now, come off it now. They had everything. God met with them in the cool of the day. They had all of their needs. It was a perfect environment and they were perfect as well. And the devil came to them and said, you know, you know, there's one thing that you lack. There's one thing that you do not have. You do not have the knowledge of good and evil. You know, you don't need to meet with God in the cool of the day. You can be like God. I can give you the power to make you complete. All you have to do is to take of the fruit of the tree that God has said you're not to take off. He's keeping it from you. So therefore, it must be a thing of value to you. Take it. Go on. Then you'll have it all. And in that instant, they lost it all. What has the devil been telling you that what you have isn't enough? What you have in Christ is not enough. He distracts you. He has you chasing this and chasing that. And you know something, all of those things have got in the way of following him. All of those things are but distractions. They are but the cares of this life. And you know what? They choke out the word every time it presents itself. We run into the weak. And we leave the word of God behind us, quickly forgetting what the Spirit has been challenging us with. And we fill our space and fill our time. And you know what we're doing? We're trying to create shortcuts rather than go the longer way, the better way, that different daily way with Christ. It's great to feel him on a Sunday but it's also marvelous to feel him on a Thursday afternoon. It's lovely to worship him, yes, in the house of the Lord, but it's also good to worship him in your kitchen, in your car. Hallelujah. The devil doesn't care who you worship 
or what you worship. As long as you don't worship Jesus Christ. Isn't that the truth? It could be a football team. It can be anything. I don't worship Liverpool. I just pray for them. (laughs) And they need it. (laughs) But I tell you, you know, that's the way he works. Anything. Anything at all that takes up more time, that has more of your heart than Christ and God himself. Anything. The devil would say to you, Worship that. Fill your time with that. Get into your, you know, whatever it is you're watching or you're listening to, you're reading, whatever it is, get into it. But get into it to such a degree that God is kept out of it. It's all to do with the heart. It's to do with the the bowing of the heart and the yearning of God to say, I love you and you are mine And I am faithful and I am true and I call you to myself. I call you to intimacy with the Almighty. Imagine God, hallelujah, who called us as a sinner, dirty, filthy, stinking sinner that we were. But that's enough about Raymond. But that's what we were. We were lost. And yet he sought us out and by grace he drew us in. And to think that that same grace and that same heart is in God where he still calls us and he calls us into worship and into fellowship with him. Why he would want me, why he would need me, why he would love me the way that he does is but a mystery. And then we find in in verse 16 through to 19 here, Paul is praying for them. He's on his knees for a reason. You can come for others or you can come for yourself, but it is not why you're coming, it's who you're coming to. That's relationship. It's who you're coming to. It's Christ you're coming to. When the petitions have been made and the praise has been offered, it should be that if you were but to linger a little longer, hallelujah, oh glory to God, you would sense the move of the Spirit and that would indeed satisfy the longing of your whole heart. Wonderful. It's wonderful, friends. I have seen me where I have gone to the prayer meeting and I've prayed for this one only to find on Thursday morning I was filled with the Spirit and I was renewed in my inner man. I was revived, hallelujah, and God touched me. As I prayed one for another, he healed me. Such is the goodness of God that he not only wants to bless those who we pray for, but he doesn't leave us out either. I was listening to Matt Redmond on the way down. He's got a new CD out. Absolutely marvelous. And there's one wee part where he says he's grace for the sinner and he's grace for the saint and he's grace for the whole world. His grace is enough for the whole world. Bless you, Jesus. So he's praying and he's saying that you would be strengthened, that you would be strengthened in the inner man. You see, God understands that the flesh is willing But the spirit, no, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
But then he says, I will strengthen you in the inner man so that your flesh and spirit may be strong in me. Have you ever received a touch from God and you felt the difference? Wow. I mean, you came into church crawling and you went out dancing. I don't know, do more people dance? He's kind of the shy, take it easy, reserved sort of people. Why is you're not like Bangorians, are you? <laughs> Do you ever give yourself a wee, you know, a wee hallelujah? Do you ever, have you ever been on your own in the house? Nobody's looking. You know, you get the old feet going and hallelujah. I'm not much of a dancer, but I tell you something. It's great when I do. Glory to God. Do you? He prays that you'd be strengthened. The strength of God should be something that we feel. The strength of God should be something that we know. The strength of God should be a make the difference strength. When I am weak, then is he strong. I stand in here in his strength. To be honest with you, if you only knew the story, my testimony is that I'm standing here at all. And I stand in his strength. But he's told me to enjoy tonight, so I am. You may not be very comfortable, but I'm happy. <laughs> you see this here, we bit here through his spirit. I went to the Elam Bible Week last year, and I went in the mornings to Heath Care, Keith Warrington. And Keith Warrington is a teacher, or was a teacher or professor, or lecturer, whatever you want to call it, in um, in Elam Bible College. Quite an unassuming man, he just got up and opened the scriptures and just shared. It was a teaching session, and he, he brought a thought, right? And the thought was this, that the Holy Spirit is not only a force, and he is, that the Holy Spirit is not only a feeling, and he is, but the Holy Spirit is also a friend, right? So he put before us this, this little teaching that said that God is our heavenly father. And how, you know, for some people, it's difficult for them to get their heads around that. When Jesus came, he said this, he said, listen, when you pray to God, say, our Father. Now, this is Jehovah Yahweh. This is, this is the one that the Jews wouldn't even, when they're spelling his name, would leave out the middle letters in case in some ways, even in the writing of his name, that they should take it in vain. And Jesus comes and he personalizes the relationship between you and I, where the Spirit says, child, and you say, Father. Right? And then, and then there is Jesus, the Savior, the beautiful Savior that he is, right? And I, I, I think of the Jews, I think of them looking for a Messiah, and then them saying, is this not Joseph's son? And them also saying, you know, is, this, is, this, is he a Galilean? They couldn't accept that Jesus was the Messiah. They couldn't get their head around it. And you and I go beyond Messiah. We actually have made him savior. Because that's what he is. He's the beautiful savior. He's the wonderful savior. 
So Keith Warrington in his teaching, he says, the Holy Spirit is a friend. And I'm going, uh-uh. You know what? That's just the truth. And so for six months, seven months, I've been reading up on it. I've been thinking about it. I've been trying to let this thought drop into my heart. And you know something? I, I'm, I'm nearly afraid of being over too familiar. Okay? I'm nearly afraid of being too flippant. I'm afraid of, you know, consequences of me getting it wrong. But I have to tell you something. Whether, whatever name you call him by, he's still wonderful. And God saw that we had a need for a savior. And then whenever that savior was taken from our midst and who maketh intercession for us, God in his goodness sent the spirit who abides with us forever. And the Holy Spirit is designed to help us to reach him from our heart to his heart. It is the spirit that does the father's bidding. It is the spirit that exalts Christ that we may know that he is the only one. It is the spirit that, was, uh, that sealed the sermon in 1741 where people felt and felt convicted and they needed to turn to Christ. And so you look at it because you want to understand them better. But I'm not saying that I, what's said is right here. I'm just telling you that in my search, in my study, I, I just thank God for the Holy Spirit. And for all that he does in bringing me as a sinner to the cross and as a child to him. What time do we finish up? Right, one wee last verse and a bit of homework. Okay? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now here we're back again to that bowing the knee business. You know, here, here we are, you know. I want you to have something that's real. It used to be, you know, that people got saved because of their friends at work. Many a testimony in the house of the Lord was, well, you know, I, 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 I never went to church and I wasn't interested in God, God, but there was a girl called Barbara and she worked in our place and she had something that I didn't have and I wanted what she had. And so I went to church as well. And when I was in church, I asked Jesus into my heart. And when I asked Jesus into my heart, I now have what Barbara has. That's the way it went. And, and that was the way, you know, people got saved because they saw something in someone else and they wanted what they had. Praise God. Oh, for a surrendered life. Oh, that Christ may dwell in our hearts. One of my favorite movies is um, Fiddler on the Roof. Came out in 1971. Topple was, you know, he was the main guy in it. He was Tevia. And it's a story about uh, Tevia and Golda. The two of them are, you know, they've been married for 25 years. They are Jews. They live in a, a settlement or in a little village in Russia. And they are people who have kept together as a community because of their traditions. He would tell you that... Uh, they don't know why 
they keep the traditions or why they, where the traditions came from, but he says it keeps them together. And so Tevia, he keeps all these traditions. And one of the traditions was the matchmaker. The matchmaker would come along and she would choose a husband for your daughter, usually at a very young age. And that's what happened to Tevia and Golda. Their marriage was arranged and they didn't meet each other until their wedding day. So, the story is about Tevia and his five daughters, and the first three decide that they're not going to go the way of the matchmaker. And what they're going to do is they're going to have a say in choosing their own husbands. So, <laughs> he has great difficulty here. Number one, breaking with tradition, and number two, convincing his wife. Guys, have you ever had a moment where you're afraid to go home? You know, you had bad news. <laughs> you dented the car or you lost something or, you know, you just knew Australia was far better than where you were going, you know? You were, hot, you know, you were scared to go home. You were scared to go in and break the news. And poor Tevia, you had to do it three times by the time it was all over. So his second daughter... Havel comes up to him with her to be, and his name is Perchek. And they come up and they said to their daddy, Dad, we want your blessing, not your permission. And he said, My blessing, not my permission. And the young man, Perchek, he says, he says, it's different today. He says, we are engaged to be married. <laughs> and he says, you're engaged to be married? So this was quite a big jump. So he comes through the door, this little scene that I want to explain to you. He comes through the door, the door flies open, and he comes in, you know, bravado itself, <laughs> until she turns around. But he's standing there, and he's saying, Havel and Perchek are, are, are engaged to be married. And she goes, engaged to be married? What is this? And then she says, he has no money. He is a pauper. They will starve to death. And you know, Tevia goes, well, he says, I hear that he is a rich uncle. And besides, he says, they love each other. She says, they love each other? And she's busy around the house. So the music starts up. And Tevia then, he goes over to Goldie. She's working away fluttering away here and doing this. And he goes over and he says, Goldie, do you love me? And she goes, do I what? <laughs> and he says, do you love me? She says, do you love me? Do I love you, she says. He says, well, and then she says to him, with our daughters getting married and there's trouble in the town, 
You're upset. You're worn out. Go inside. Go lie down. Maybe you have indigestion. And Tevye comes back to her and he says, Goldie, 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 no, no, no. I'm asking you a question. Do you love me? And she says to him, you're a fool. You're a fool. What are you talking like that for? And I, I, I know, I know, says Tevia, but answer me. Do you love me? Do I love you, she says. And then she says this, for 25 years I've washed your clothes, I've cooked your meals, I've cleaned your house, I've given you children, I've even milked your cow. And after 25 years, why talk about love right now? And Tevi answers, Goldie, the first time I met you was on our wedding day. I was scared you were shy. You were nervous, so was I. But my father and my mother said we would learn to love each other. And now I'm asking you, Goldie. You know where this is going, don't you? Do you love me? I'm glad there's one awake. <laughs> and Goldie says to him, I am your wife. Why are you asking me this question? And, and he says, now guys, don't try this at home. Do you love me? Do I love you? She says, well, he said, for 25 years I've lived with him fought with him, starved with him. 25 years, my bed is his. If that's not love, what is? And Tevye goes, there, there, you love me. And she goes, I suppose I do. And he goes, and I suppose I love you too. And the both of them, the little scene ends with the both of them sitting on the edge of the bed, holding hands. And it says this, it doesn't change a thing, but even so, after 25 years, it's nice to know that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Do you love him? Do you? Do you love him? Do you? Do you love him? It's not something that you could answer in a minute. Some of us are shaking our head and saying, of course. It's something I want you to think about. It's a question that I want you to examine yourself in the light of. This is one of these messages that if you weren't saved and I was preaching on you hanging by a thread over hell, and that at any moment we could cut and sever that thread and you would be lost for eternity. It would be one of those messages for you to go home and to dwell on and to think about when you're lying in your bed. And, and you know what? To, to, to weigh the whole thing seriously in your heart. And then when you're ready, when you understand the consequences of saying no to Christ, you bow that knee and you say, Jesus, I surrender my life. Come into my heart. 
Well, 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 the question here is for the saint. Sinners are no longer afraid of God and the saints no longer fear the Lord. Do you love him? Do you? Is it something to think about this week? As you go to your Bible reading, as you go to prayer, as you examine your life, as you think about that the devil doesn't care who I worship as long as it's not Jesus. I could throw a net out at this moment and I could ask people to affirm their love for Christ. I do feel though that it would be impulsive for some and I also feel that I wouldn't get everyone that needs to be in it. Because sometimes we're quiet and shy about demonstrating our love. But may the words, these words, resonate within your heart. Do you love me? That's what Christ does. I ask, do you love him? Do you? Right, homework time, and then you're home. It says in there that you may know with all the saints the love of God. I challenge you to seek God for a deeper revelation of his love for you. It says that you might know what is the unknowable. God says, listen, I'm asking the question, do you love me? (laughs) I want to know your response. Do you love me? And then he says, as a caveat, he says, because I want to show you how much I love you. And I've been preaching for 30 years on love and grace. And I have to tell you something, I haven't even got to the bottom of it. But I'm more convinced today that he loves me and I am more convinced today that he loves you. Even if you have just got yourself in a hole because of wrong choices and there's sin in your life and whatever, you know, he just loves you, mess and all. Benny Hinn says, and I don't even like to mention him, but but I'll use his quote, it's worth it. Benny Hinn says this, that Jesus can still take a mess and turn it into a miracle. So, so my, my challenge is that you may pursue God and say, God, I would like a deeper revelation of your love for me. And you know what I, I've discovered? This part I don't need to walk you through because my, my, my understanding is if you want something bad enough, you'll find a way to get it. The alcoholic has no trouble getting drink. It doesn't care what time of the day is. He can get drink. She can get drink. And that we would have a thirst for Christ and for the knowledge of the Lord to the point where we want to know his love for us. A greater revelation of that love that it may encourage us to say, I love him because he first loved us. So this is all about heart. This is all about the sinner being afraid of God. This is all about you and I having a fear for the Lord and a love for God. Am I saying to you that you don't love God? No, quite the opposite, actually. I do believe that you do love the Lord. 
Now, there's a strange one. I do believe that you love him. But I think, you know, as you examine that question, I think that you'll come to realize how much you do love him because we feel that we fail as Christians. That the surrender part isn't right yet. That the life isn't totally his. But I think whenever you come and you strip away everything and you ask yourself the question, do I love him? I think you come to the conclusion, and all of us, if not most of us, will come to the conclusion where we'll say, you know what? I do love him. I really love Jesus. I love God. And you will find in that affirmation new confidence, new self-assurance. And instead of beating yourself over the head every time you come into the presence of God forever and continually saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you might just come to the place where you'll just come and say, you know what, Lord? I've discovered recently that you love me and that I love you. This question is not designed to make you feel bad. This question is designed to make you realize that when it's all coming down, as Goldie said to Tevye, well, I, I suppose I do. Let's pray. Just want to pray for those who need healing tonight. I always like to do that when I come to a service. So if you need healing, just cross your hands across your chest just like this. If you need God to just give you a little healing touch. Just ask the Lord to just touch you. Well, why do we cross our hands against our chest, Pastor? What's that about? Well, it's just to let God know that you want included in the prayer. It's the little that I ask you to do. We're going to ask him for much more. Lord Jesus, we, we just come before you. We thank you for your love for us. We pray that you would lead on in our lives. And we pray for healing for those, oh God, who are in need of it tonight. Those who are fighting infections. Those who are not where they should be health-wise who are making a slow recovery, those, oh God, who are sick and who are waiting for a diagnosis, those waiting for appointments. Lord, we just pray for all such, Lord, today who are sick. In whatever way and form that sickness takes, and we just ask you in humility and in faith tonight, we just ask you to heal and to touch. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to me. I'll see you in another five years. <laughs> I've really enjoyed this night there, and I appreciate the welcome that I've got from you. And, okay, you're not a bad bunch, are you? You're all right, you know. If David ever throws you out, I'll take you in. <laughs> God bless you all. Thank you. <laughs>